Well, today we're releasing a new book called Vision Beyond Sight. And so uh, our men who went to call to arms actually got a kind of like a opportunity to pick it up first by going. But now it's here for the whole church body. I mean, anybody plan on picking up a copy? Yes? Some pick some up already. All right. Anybody want this one? Oh, yeah. I see a few hands go up. I see a few hands go up. Uh, I'm going to give it to a teenager back there in the back. JJ, see him way back there in the back. Keep your hand up. Stand up, JJ. There you go. I'm going to give it to him. I saw his hand go up. Now read it. JJ, I know your mom, so uh, she'll let me know whether you read it or not or whether it just sat on a shelf somewhere. Um, but I do encourage you, Christmas is coming up. You ought to pick up the things that we have, um, you know, that God's placed in our hearts to be able to distribute beyond, you know, this house. Uh, which is just the church body, what we hear and you hear week in and week out. And um, it had changed people's lives. They're great stocking stuffers. A lot of them are small enough. They can go right in one. And so, you know, you're thinking about, man, somebody may need to hear that. Someone need, I want to inspire that. You know, books are flying off the shelf. I mean, people still read books. I understand there's electronic copies. We're working on that as well. Actually, we do have them in iBooks, but we're trying to get them over into Kindle. And uh, when we get successful in all that, you'd be able to pick them up electronically as well. Uh, we desire to actually do an audio version at some point. Well, um, we'll sit down and read them, and then you can just listen to it while you're in, uh, traveling somewhere. Amen? But ultimately, you know, it's something that you need to refresh yourself with. All right? And so uh, if you have your Bible, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 11. Are you excited this morning? Yes. Amen. Are you ready to receive the word of God? Yes. Do you expect God's going to speak to you? Yes, if you come with that expectation, he will. If you came just, you know, well, let me do church today and then, you know, go eat lunch and go from there. Well, then basically you'll just hang out with people. You'll hear me, but now in, my, in, in your spirit, I'll sound kind of like this. Womp, 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 You know, that's what Charlie Brown's teacher sound like. You know, I never could understand the tongue she was speaking. Um, but she was always educating, Right. But too often, people don't hear things that can change your life. Uh, it sounds just like that, wah, 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 because there's other things. And in today's society, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know how y'all do it. Um, you know, your electronic device that most of us uh, that have our Bibles on and stuff like that, um, the only issue with that is, is you have typically your notifications uh, turned on as well. So that means, you know, the minute someone posts something new to Facebook, you know, you're listening to me and then you hit it and you scroll through your Facebook for a little bit. It's okay. Amen. I'm multitasking. Well, as long as you can get everything that's being said. For me, I can't get in that environment. Honestly, when I need to learn something, I need to shut things down. Now, I understand people, you know, they're hearing stuff young age, but, you know, some of you guys that are a little bit older, you don't function like little kids do anymore. Right? Because when kids are young, they are like sponges. But when we get older, it becomes a little more difficult. Right? We have to focus a little bit more. Amen. You're young. You hear something on the piano. You pick it up like no problem. Now you're like, what was that? Right? So as we get older, it, it isn't always the same thought process as when they were young. So the kid beside you, yeah, he may be five and he's getting everything I'm saying, but what are you getting? Amen. Right? So we want to have ears to hear. Okay? And I believe you will today. Dr. Miles Monroe said this in his book, The Principle and Power of Vision. He said, no matter who you are or what country you live in, you have a personal purpose. Look to your neighbor and say, I have a purpose. For every human being is born with one. God created each person with a unique vision. He, he has tremendous plans for you that no one else can accomplish. 
that no one else can accomplish. All right? The tragic thing is that many people live their whole lives without ever recognizing their vision. Their whole lives. Now, when Pastor Hagen asked me to come and minister at Call to Arms, the minute he asked, I knew in my spirit what I needed to preach that day. I knew. Now, I asked the Lord the whole time, you know, a month, six weeks, whatever it was, you know, uh, maybe longer when he asked me, uh, do I need to change that? You understand? Because God has the liberty to do that. You can be on a course from one direction, all of a sudden you show up and the Lord says, well, I'm going to go here instead. Uh, but, you know, I, I knew that this particular message we're going to preach today, we would minister to those men and that it would be uh, powerful in room. And then the, because of that, that environment, the Lord reminded me of Kenneth e. Hagen, Pastor Hagen's dad, that he had pastored for 12 years in a little town out in Texas. And um, he started to take the prayers that Paul prayed over the churches. And he would set them in on the altar at the church for because he lived in a parsonage that was right next door. And so he would go in there and pray those Pauline prayers. He said, you know, if the Bible's alive, and it is, and if God's and the church is still alive today, which it is, then the prayers that God spoke to the churches back then are applicable for today. And so he would pray. That he would receive uh, divine uh, revelation by God. That the eyes of his understanding would be enlightened. That meaning he may know the, uh, the, the hope and the callings of God. And that he would receive wisdom and insight based upon these particular prayers that are in Paul's letters to the churches. He said after he prayed these things about three to six months. That all of a sudden revelation started coming. Things that he had never seen before. All of a sudden, the Holy Ghost in him began to teach him things and share with him and disclose things to him. And he looked to his wife and said, man, what have I been preaching for the last 12 years? In essence, like, man, I, do I even know anything because God has given me so much in this particular time? Well, during that process, the Lord then speaks to him as he was seeking him. And he says, I want you to go and teach my people faith. Well, now he pastored the church for 12 years. In essence, the Lord was saying, quit pastoring. I want you to go out and, and, and get meetings at churches because I, I need you to teach what I just taught you because my people don't know it. Well, you know, obviously he did this. And here's one account where he came back uh, a year later and showed how he was doing as a pastor and how he was doing uh, traveling. And it wasn't the same. He said, now, Lord, your word says if you're willing and obedient, you, you'll eat the good of the land. I was doing better as a pastor than I am traveling around uh, teaching your people faith. What's up? And the Lord says that scripture you're quoting me doesn't qualify. You don't qualify for it. And he says, what do you mean I don't qualify? He said, well, you were obedient. You did it. But you weren't willing. He said, don't tell me it doesn't take long to get willing. It took me about 10 seconds. And so he got willing to do God's plan. But before he ventured out that year, he said the Lord spoke to him. And when he said, okay, I'll do it. He said, you are now entering the first phase of your ministry. And he said, Lord, how can I be entering the first phase? I've been pastoring for 12 years. He said, the Lord told him. He said, well, I allowed you to pastor, but I never called you. Well, that's kind of shocking. You think, well, I just wasted 12 years of my life <laughs> in one sense. But then the Lord said something even more striking. He said to him, he said, most of my people never enter into the first phase. <laughs> Amen. So why we're, why we're here is a big, big deal. It's a big deal. Unfortunately, if we don't watch out, we'll reduce the word of God to this only. Ask Jesus to come into your heart to save you so that when you die, you go to heaven. 
Now, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Can we get an amen? amen. But that is not the sum total of why God has you on the planet. At all. In fact, it's bigger than that. Okay? It's bigger than that. Let me go ahead and jump ahead to uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, and then we'll come back to 1 Corinthians 10. I love two services because, man, we just never preach it the same. Jeremiah 29, 11 says it this way. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a what? Future. Man, we've seen this. This is actually the new uh, international version, the one that we see the most on tapestries, on grandma's sweater, right? On T-shirts, at, you know, um, uh, family reunions, uh, on coffee mugs, on your little Facebook posts, you know, that you then send to everybody and tell them to like it, you know, your, next, your best friends and stuff to remind them God's for them and not against them, okay? And the reality is we quote this all the time, but most never, ever actually know the plan God has for them. Saying it and living it are two different things. For most, the only plan they think that God has for them is that when they die, they go to heaven. That's not God's plan for your life. That is what happens after you leave planet Earth. In fact, he's talking to Jeremiah. Notice what he's saying to Jeremiah. He's not saying, man, I can't wait for you to get up here. I can't wait for you to get up here. I can't wait for you to get up here. No, he's saying, I got a plan for you. In fact, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. I had a plan for you that I needed you to do while you're in the earth. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 17, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one. That's what he does. And so there, there's this reason why we are born. I've said this. If Paul needed to be now, God would have left, kept Paul for now. So what the world needs is you. I said the world needs you. Now, it may be shocking to you, but they need you. God waited out of all of time since Adam started this thing till the last person's born. God is saying, okay, I'm picking you to get into your mother's womb now. You, who you are, the personality of who you are, the person of who you are. The way you think, the way you process, everything. God said, I'm waiting right now, and I'm going to insert you in, in the timeline of life. Yes. And then in this particular dispensation. So there's a plan that he has for us. For I know the plans I have for you. God knows them. You don't know them. So until you know God, you won't know it. In fact, if we look at what God says, if we'll do God's plan, there are three things he said he would do for us. Yeah. Plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope, and plans to give you a future. Yeah. Then there's a knot in there, which means if you'll do my plan, it'll not harm you. Which, if you don't do God's plan, then you don't get to prosper, you don't have hope, nor do you have a future. What you have is harm. We know this is scriptural because the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end lies. And death is not prospering. Death is not hope. Death is not a good future. Death is going down harm's way. I say going down harm's way. And the Lord doesn't want us going down harm's way. He doesn't want us to pick our path. Well, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. This is what I want to do. Well, you can choose and do what you want to do. And God will even let you do that. 
But when you stand before him, he'll say, well, let me tell you what I wanted you to do. And that's what you'll be judged by. That's where he'll say, let's see what I, the book I had written for you. Before you even born, all the days of my life, the psalmist said, were written in his book. All the days of my life, which means this is the de destiny I had for you. The question is, did you find it? Did you start it? And will you finish it? We are going to be in Judges today, but before we get there, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 through 12. I'm going to read out the Message Bible because it's awesome the way this particular um, paraphrase puts it together. It says this, these are all warning sign markers, dangers, danger, in our history books written down so we don't repeat their mistakes. I said this in first service. You've heard it taught. I heard it said it to me. If we don't learn our history, we'll be doomed to repeat the same mistakes. That is a lie. You can learn about your history and be guaranteed to repeat the same mistakes. Because until your nature changes, you will do the same thing. Sinful people, no matter how much history they know, will think, I can do it better and not fail doing it this way. Come on now. How many people come from dysfunctional families and say, I'm going to get love right, but yet they do it wrong? Like, no, I know what I'm doing, Mom. This one's right for me. And they're like, they ain't right for you. I know what I'm doing. Like, you're going to get it right. No, you don't learn from your history as long as your nature is in sin. The only way you have the potential to learn from history is to be born again and get out of that nature to where now you can connect with God and get a different future because as long as you're in the sin nature you will repeat history you'll repeat it I mean seriously how many statistics do we have about relationships going bad yet people are still doing it how many statistics do we have about sexual disease transmitted disease Yet everyone's still doing it. I mean, how much statistics do we have concerning, you know, um, um, the way nations are governed, yet people still do it? Because there's a way that seems right to a man. That means I'll get it right this time. But you can't get it right because your nature is wrong. But the minute you get born again, then you can find God's way. Man, when you find God's way, it's amazing. I said it's amazing. So they're warning signs. They're in our history book, which tells us this. The Bible's not a bunch of stories, okay? And so I'll help, I'm going to help you, parents. Please tell me your kids. Let me tell you the story of David. It's not a story. It's a historical, biblical account. It's an it's a autobiography. It's a, it's a biography of a man who literally existed as a king of a nation that still exists in the planet. I never saw Hitler other than pictures. But I've seen pictures of Jesus. Don't know he really looked like that, but people have drawn him. Correct? Now, I know Jesus is very real. He's not a fairy tale. It's not a figment of my imagination. It's a very reliable source. In fact, the Bible is more reliable than any other manuscript that's ever been written. Ever been written. There are people we've heard about, but we've just seen paintings. 
And yet we hear it in our history book of King Henry VIII. And, you know, different end of Alexander the Great. In fact, I saw a monument of him when I was in Thessaloniki, I think it was. You know, there he is, Alexander the Great. Right? How do I know he's not just a story? We'll believe that history, but here's the Bible. It's not a story. It's a person who literally existed. These events took place. And if we'll actually learn, as we see here, they're written in these history books so that we don't repeat their mistakes. In essence, the Lord's saying, look how this person did this and either don't do what they did or do what they did. And we use people in the Bible all the time as examples. In fact, Paul himself, we've never met the guy personally, but he says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Which means he put a, he put a, a charge out there. If you want to live right, just follow my example. Amen. So he goes, our position in the story, our parallel, uh, they are at the beginning, we are at the end, we are just as capable of messing it up, just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident, you're not exempt. We could fall flat on our face as easy as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence, it's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Amen. So we need to find out God's plan for our lives and know that there are things in the Word of God that allows us to see when people heard from God about a plan, how successful were they? Amen? You know, um, uh, when I went to Bible school, a lot of times they would teach in rightly divine the Word of Truth that sometimes you know what something is by uh, discovering what something is not. When we learn on the subject of faith, in order to determine what faith was, we had to answer the question what faith was not. You know what faith is not? Faith is not hope. Hope is totally different than faith. And a lot of people are in hope and not in faith, yet they think they're in faith when the reality they're in hope. And hope, if, if, if all you have is hope, will not, will not go to faith unless you move it there. Hope fueled is fueled for faith, but hope alone is hope. And hope does not pull in God. Faith does. So we got to learn the difference between the two. Are you with me? So we're going to see, uh, you know, how not to live in this dispensation. So that our life can be successful. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there's no vision, the people perish. The message says it this way. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble over themselves. So let's quit stumbling over ourselves. Amen? Here's the thing. The Bible says if a man... Lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men liberty. He will give you. Number two, we also know this, that if you ask, you'll receive. If you knock, the door will be open. If you seek, you'll find. The problem is most people want fast food Jesus. Lord, what am I supposed to do? And expect God to give you a fast food order. At that point, you know, within a matter of seconds, poof, there it is. Right? Boom, it's done. But purpose and vision is a lifetime. It's a lifetime. Because once purpose is done, then we get the testimony of Paul. I've run the race. I've fought the good fight. I've finished my course. Now there's no longer for me reason for me to be in the earth. How many are you ready to leave right now? Okay, only a couple. And that's okay. You know, to be present with the Lord is better. I understand that. And if you don't know purpose, then leaving is the best option. But when you know purpose... Then you'll actually have this can't go. 
Paul, in his writing a, a letter uh, to the Philippian church, when he was in jail, said this. He said, I'm betwixt between two places, whether to go on and be with the Lord, which is far better, or to remain here with you. Right? Then he says, I'm convinced that I need to stay. In essence, my purpose is not done. So because purpose is not done, heaven will have to wait. Woo! Heaven will have to wait. I mean, I'm looking for the redemption of uh, uh, that my redemption draws now. I have an expectation that my king can come and the trumpet's going to be blown and he's going to catch me away to himself up in the air. I expect that. But it's not like I'm trying to leave before that moment takes place. In essence, sometimes I wake up and say, Lord, if you come today, I'm ready. I'm ready to hear. But I could wait because there's still more you put in me and there's still much work to still be done. Hallelujah. Because when the next dispensation comes, that's another dispensation. So, it is never enough just to get the vision from God. We must be responsible to see the vision through to completion. It's very important because most of the time people just want to hear something. Now, Lord, give me a vision. Why? Because vision is about attaining your God-given purpose and achieving the result of why you were born in the first place. You know, there are a lot of children on planet Earth right now that heard this from their parents. You're a mistake. Well, they're not a mistake because God knew them before they were in the womb. And God's going to allow, he's going to take this situation and blow the doors off the devil's, you know, plans. And God be able to do something great through that individual if they'll seek and find the plan of God for their life. You're not born into anything so bad that God can't turn that thing. You're not. You know, if you're waiting for some privileged thing to happen, you're in the wrong place. Privilege already happened. He died. Amen. So just walk in it. You got to walk in it. Hallelujah. You just got to step up to the plate and be a doer of the plan God has for you. You know, a lot of times people are like, Lord, what's the plan? Why am I here? And the Lord says, I'm going to tell you why you're here. But I first want you to just continue to do what I've called you to do in me. If you can't be a great husband, you're going to have a hard time being the plan God called you to be. If you can't be a great wife, you're not going to be, you're going to have a hard time being the plan God called you to be. God can reveal a plan to you, but it will not, he will not allow you to accomplish without the test of character. Sometimes it's better to not know the plan until character has been first tested. But that God don't always work that way. God doesn't. God didn't reveal all that to Daniel. God didn't reveal to Daniel first what his plan was going to be. He just was a teenage boy that he, man, you're going to be captured. Babylon's taking it. Now go here. And what did he do? All he knew about God was, I'm not supposed to eat this kind of food. So I'm going to ask the guy here, help, man, I don't want to eat this junk. Can I like eat just this stuff instead? And they're like, man, you want the king to kill me when you come up looking all scrawny? He said, listen. Give me 10 days. 10 days, me and my friend, we eat. If you test us and we don't look like we're healthier than what that pig slop they're eating, you know, which is the king's choice food, then fine, we'll eat it. But test it. What did he do? He tested God. He said, I want to keep my character. I don't want to defile myself. And 10 days later, man, he was better off. He was healthier. He was thicker. He was stronger. And the guy goes, all right, man, fine. Y'all don't have to eat that slop anymore. Y'all just go ahead and do what you're doing. Apparently, you know what you're doing. And he kept that character development the whole time. Ultimately, he rose up 
in King Cyrus's um, um, regime where he was the third most powerful man in the kingdom. Wow. Now, he didn't know that when he was a child. But then God will sometimes give a dream to somebody young like Joseph. He gets a dream that he's going to rule and reign. But he didn't get that place quick. No character showed up. How you going to act now that your brothers hate you? And they've thrown you down into the pit wanting to kill you. Now you've been sold as a slave. Now how, what's your attitude going to be like? Well, he had a good one. He continued to court. Now what are you going to do when you've been called falsely accused of rape? How are you going to act now? He maintained his character. And where did he get to? He becomes the governor of the land of Egypt. The second most powerful man. Why? Because he saw it the whole time. And he held to that vision. Hallelujah. Those are two people that we have historical uh, documentation on that finished strong. But unfortunately, in Judges, we have someone who did not. In Judges chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, it says this, Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Man, I hope that's not your testimony. Well, when your name's mentioned, Now so-and-so again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Don't let that be your testimony. Well, again, you got in the flesh. Again, you got mad. Again, you didn't respond to God. Again, you didn't repent. Again. Okay. Says this. Um, so the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had bore no children. Then the angel of the Lord, say the angel of the Lord, appeared to the woman and said, showed up face to face. Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children. So he's telling her, let me tell you what you are right now. You don't have no kids. Right? But then look at what he says. But you shall conceive and give birth to a son, which means she went and slept with her husband the minute she got out of that conversation. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You don't have no kids, but you're going to conceive. Well, how's that happen? Because she ain't married. She went back and acted on that word. And as a result of that, it says, therefore, he said, now therefore, he gives instruction. You're going to have a child. He said, therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink or eat, uh, eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. I already know this is before... Um, um, what are those things? Ultrasound. Ultrasound. Thank you. God don't need that technology to tell you what you have. My, my, my. You're going to have a son. And no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin. Say begin. He shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Notice what it does not say. He will deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. He's just going to start something. Now, when I saw that by the Spirit, it shook me to my core. It made me think, geez, I don't want to get before the Lord and say, yeah, you started something. But you couldn't finish it. Which brought this saying to my mind, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. In fact, the Lord even goes through, I believe it's in Ezekiel, he goes and begins to make these comments. He says, now listen. He said, if somebody's not running after me at all, I mean, they do all kind of bad stuff, but they repent and get right. I'll forgive them. But then he goes on and says, somebody been following me, doing right, but then all of a sudden doesn't do right. 
and falls off, I'll hold their sin against them. That's a powerful statement. And they were like, you ain't right, Lord, you ain't right. He said, oh, you telling me I ain't right? And so he went on to a little more discourse there. Which, what's, what's the ultimate? You can start off like you love God, but are you going to end life loving him? Doing his purpose. Finishing your course. God wants us to be finishers. Unfortunately, Samson could only begin something. Now, there's a few instructions here, okay? And I can't get into everything that there is to say about all this. Um, she goes and tells her husband, Manoah. And Manoah says, man, can we, man, we, let's pray that he comes back and teaches us how to raise this boy. He knew, man, this is, this, this is God coming from God. We need, some, we need some direction. We need to hear from God. Don't you know you need to hear from God on how to raise your kids? So he goes on and they begin to pray. Sure enough, he shows back up, does a sacrifice for him, realizes it's the Lord. And from that point on, I, I guarantee without a shadow of a doubt, if there's no doubt, not only do they testify of it, of themselves and judges, but also Samson testifies of it in the house of Delilah, that he has been a Nazareth since his birth. He knows why he looks like he looks, how he was supposed to act, how he was supposed to respond. He's been taught by his parents. They told him, son, God's got a plan for you. You're going to do something. Son, you need to do these things because this is what God's called you to be. Now, Nazarite is not a new term here. It's not like something new like, ooh, what's a Nazarite? We do not know. Lord, teach us these things. No, they knew. If you go back over to Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, it tells you about the vow of the Nazarite. And that is anyone outside the Levitical priesthood, the tribe of the Levites, they then could do a vow of the Nazarite, which in essence allowed them to reflect the qualities of a priest, although they were not in that tribe. And so there were three things primarily, three things that primarily they did. There was more, but primarily these three things existed when they did their vow. And their vow was for a time frame. That means they dictated it. They say, I am a vow. I take the vow of the Nazarite for, and they set the time frame. And they would do it during that time frame. And then once that time frame was done, they would shave their head and then go present an offering before the priest. Okay, so the three things they did is, number one, they abstained from wine and strong drink. They didn't drink any alcohol. They abstained. Abstain means they don't drink it at all. Number two, they refrained from cutting uh, the hair off, okay, the whole time they're in the vow. The whole time. And the reason why is because it represented something we'll talk about here in a second. The third thing is they avoided contact from, with dead things, things that were dead. They avoided it. They didn't even eat it. Anything unclean didn't do it. Okay, so you can understand then mom did not give him alcohol. Nor did mom give him something to eat that was unclean. Nor did mom let him go hang out and play around dead things. Didn't do it. And we know they never cut his hair. Now, number two, not cutting your hair. What that did is because we're not, they weren't in a dispensation where God lives in us. Because we are the temple of the Holy Ghost here. He, they lived in a time where the outward appearance began to demonstrate things you did inside. And so when people saw a person who did the vow of the Nazarite, they could tell by the length of their hair. And they would go, that guy separated unto God. That guy separated unto God. Well, how you know? Look how long his hair is. That guy separated unto God. That guy separated unto God. He doesn't, he doesn't drink anything. 
Look, he's not drinking any alcohol. That guy's separated under God. Look, he's not, he's not getting around anything dead. He's not even going to the funeral of his family because he can't be around unclean dead things. That's a Nazarite. So what they saw let them know he has declared, I'm separated unto God. Amen. Now, the difference with uh, Samson compared to the rest is Samson didn't pick the time. God did. Amen. And what this is is a type and shadow of the new birth. I said it's a type and shadow of the new birth. When you're born again, you are separated unto God. For Peter says, be holy as I am holy. Holy means to be separated unto God. Amen. And so, in this new covenant, the minute we're born again, we, we declared a vow of the Nazarite, and our vow is, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I deny myself, and I take up my cross and follow him. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I am a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I confess you as Lord, supreme in authority. I vow today... To follow you the rest of my life. And from that born again experience, you are to be separated unto God. The cool thing is the Holy Ghost comes and lives inside us. He bears witness with our spirit. We're children of God. And then the fruits of the spirit will start manifesting in our lives. When people, when they get around you and they start listening to you and you start talking, they go like, man, you're separated unto God. You get a praise in your mouth. When everybody's angry, you've got joy. When everybody's impatient, you, you endure. When everybody else is unmerciful, you have mercy. When everybody else holds a grudge, you forgive. When everybody else is bitter, you just uh, you release it and trust the Lord. Amen. Well, and then they see it without seeing it. They're like, you're different. You're separated unto God. Well, let's go out this uh, Sunday. Can't. Going to church. Oh, you're separated unto God. Are you with me? The whole time, from the minute you confess Christ, you are to be separated unto God. But let's go to the next one about avoiding contact with dead things. Guess what? Jesus, the Paul's writing, he said this. He said, come out. He said, you're, you're, you come out from among the world. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Now, Jesus said, you're in a world you're not of. So we don't leave the earth or we don't go find a little spot somewhere and don't let none of the world show up. No, we just don't act like the world, participate with the world's stuff. We don't hang out. We don't laugh at their jokes. We don't do their things anymore. We don't participate with their activities. We don't, we don't think like they think anymore. We don't hang out with dead things. They're not our best friends. Now, we're around them because we're in a world we're not of. But they're not our buddies. We don't do vacation with them. If your best friend is not in the kingdom of God, you don't know who you are in Christ. It's one thing to influence somebody. It's another thing to hang out. Because the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals if your best friend and if you're trying to say well we got to win the law well if you ain't even taking care of you you ain't winning nobody if you look like they do why would they want to change if you talk like they do act like they do drink like they do respond like they do yeah but i'm born again i ask you to come to my heart and save me you know that difference between me when i die I go to heaven you go to hell you need what i have they're thinking what do you got Hallelujah. No, we've been redeemed. Yeah. 
Come on, say we've been redeemed. The blood's stronger than that. I said the blood's stronger than that. We left that existence. We lead that existence. Then the other thing was to abstain from, from wine and strong drink. You know, I have seen here, especially in these last days, um, that so many Christians desire to see how close to sin they can live and yet still be okay with God. I mean, they want to be like right over here on the edge. Like, I'm in the kingdom. And like Pastor Marcus on a worship Sunday. <laughs> right on the edge, man. Hey, Amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But right here, I mean, we want to see how close we can get without falling off. Right? And we assume we're always going to fall backwards into the arms of Jesus. <laughs> but I'm finding too many are falling forward on their face. Now, it'd be different if you were on your face in repentance. But a lot of you are falling forward into pig slop. And I hope repentance is in the pig slop. But the question is, why are we so close? Why are, we work, why are we working so hard to see how close we can enjoy this world until we die and God be okay with it instead of just work very diligent to just love him for who he is and let him uh, uncover who we are in him and the purpose and destiny we have. Wow, he's so awesome. But again, that was to be absent, to, to abstain from wine and strong drink. Today, people say, you know what? The Bible just says, don't be drunk. Well, again, if that's the only scripture you want to use in order to justify your flesh, sure. Anybody can pick a scripture. Right? One scripture says this, Judas hung himself. Another scripture says, go and do there likewise. All right, so that's that your doctrine? No, let's read the whole Bible. I mean, let's see what God wanted to do. I mean, obviously, the Levitical priests, they couldn't have any of that stuff walking into the holies. And we're kings and priests. Amen. The Bible talks about being sober-minded. And I'm going to tell you right now, I drank with the best of them. I mean, maybe not the best, but I drank because some of the best of them are still drinking. I got out. I got redeemed. Hallelujah. But I drank. I know. I can only remember one literal time I drank so much I didn't remember where I was at. And it was in Crescent Beach. I can take you to the house. Yeah. This girl I used to date, her parents used to rent this house. And so, you know, I, I got acquainted with it. Then after I got out of high school, I found out I could rent it myself. And so for our 20, my 21st birthday, which happened to fall during spring break week, I went and bought six uh, bottles. They're not a fifth because they were like a half gallon or a gallon of Jim Beam, a case from Sam. Why? Because I card me, please. I'm 21. Now, this is the old man, an unrenewed mind. Okay? And so we went there, and my friends and I went there. Next thing you know, I can see it. I can see the living room right now. There was a little galley kitchen, right, on both sides, and it had this little bar that went through, and there was a couch right on the other side of the bar in the living room, and it, then there was another couch here, and then, and then one here, so it kind of made a U around a coffee table. I was on the other side. 
One of my friends was in the kitchen, pour a shot and set it down. And the guy would grab it on the couch like this, hand it over to the guy on the couch there, who then handed it over to me. I would hit it, drop it down. They'd pick it up, go back, and we just kept going. Now, see, I was born again at nine, but I lived by my sight. And when you live by sight, you can only live fleshly and carnal. That's it. Wait for the sweet by and by. And apparently, I wanted to get there at 21. But God. <sighs> but God. Because what I did should have put me in the grave that day. But his mercy. His mercy. Oh, my, his mercy. And they just kept going. Drink, drop, drink, drop, drink. I don't know how many. Honestly, I didn't count. And what like we just started. I've been drinking most of the day anyway. But somewhere I hit one. I said, that's it. Had to be the... The seed talking to me on the inside, Pastor Marcy. So I remember, all I remember is my friend, I won't say his name, we got up, we let, walked out the front door, went down the steps, and, and, and went down to the 206 bridge. And I got up underneath the bridge, and I do not remember returning home at all. I don't know what happened after that. All I know is that somewhere in the dark, I started hearing. It's the best way I can describe it. In the dark, kept hearing that sound. So eventually I came back and it was a glass sliding door in a bedroom that I was in. They were opening it up and checking to see if I was breathing. And then they would shut it because I was gone. I remember getting up, getting undressed, getting in the tub thinking, I got to get myself together. Started throwing up. That wasn't fun. This is the life, man. Right? This is the life. Yeah, believers are sipping. Now, what I want to say is, it didn't start like that with me. It started with one beer. When I drank that one beer, because my dad was an alcoholic, even though my mom took me in church, I drank that one beer, and my head started to tingle. It's a term we used to call back in the day. I don't know what they call it today. I don't really care. It's called a buzz. So all of a sudden, it started messing with my mind. One. Like I'm supposed to be impressed you can drink a case and still walk a straight line. Because I know when you first started with one, it messed with your mind. Because what do they do, believers? Well, you know, it says don't be drunk. You know, and I can drink. I'm not drunk. You are allowing something to get in your mind to keep you from being sober. And you think alcohol's not even, that's just part of it. There's enough words in the world that can intoxicate you. But it accelerates when we take substance in and we can't begin to control how we think. It's amazing how the most timid person can get into a rage and fight anybody. Where did that come from? Well, they're free. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All of a sudden, they start talking, shy and timid, but now they can run. They can talk. They're bold as a lion. Well, because there's other spirits influence. Have you ever noticed why they call it spirits? Alcohol is a gateway for the demonic. 
And we want to see how close we can and get scriptural. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine. Mm. Well, the Levitical priest couldn't even smell the stuff. Didn't touch it. And I thought you were a priest unto God. I thought you were separated unto God. Well, you know what Paul said to Timothy? Drink a little wine for your stomach. Well, does your stomach hurt? I mean, do you have chronic ulcers? Is that what we're saying? Notice how they'll take it out of context. In essence, he was like, listen, it's kind of like an aspirin, so to speak. You got a little issue there. Drink that. But that wasn't like, drink it, son. Drink it. Oh, yeah, there's plenty today justifying taking church stabs to bars and drinking while, you know, we're no different. You're a lot different if you knew who you were in Christ. You're a new species of being. You're a totally different person now. Don't buy the lie of the devil because what? He wants to limit your potential. In essence, he wants your anointing to never manifest its full potential. And that's what he did with Samson. Samson had an anointing from the beginning. To stay away from stuff, to keep away from stuff, to not live by sight, to follow the voice of his mom, but instead he would not do it. Samson made decisions uh, that were outside the character of his vowed life of a Nazarite. There is a standard of living God expects us to attain, expecting us to attain. There's nothing going on in your life that love doesn't cover it, that love doesn't fit, fix it, that the love of God doesn't make it all better and empower you. Hallelujah. And you can attain to that love because it was shed abroad in your heart. So we understand that he fell fell after things based upon what he saw. We see it in Judge chapter 14 when he went looking for a woman that he shouldn't have looked for because the reality is the covenant of Israel was this, Mary within the tribes. He wanted to get someone outside the tribe. He wanted a Philistine woman. He wanted someone else because she looked good to him. That's how he lived. What I like, what it feels good, what looks good, what makes me feel good, that must be right. There's many that live that way. So God's ability to hinder the Philistines were limited to Samson's sight. Samson had no vision for himself so he could gain no vision for his country. Samson operated in a covenant without ever renewing his mind. And when you lack wisdom, it will create selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. But this is a parallel story. It allows us to know now that we are anointed of God, we don't have to live by sight anymore. In fact, he said, my righteous one shall live by faith, not by sight faith is believing God in his word not having to see evidence of it but know that his words forever settled in heaven and it's got to be this way and that's how we are to live today not a, a different way it's not a different way now that we have the Holy Ghost in us we can just make decisions based on what we have in our account what I mean God is talking to people to go into the world to preach that you could take a vacation and go on a mission trip and minister to people but what do we say I don't have enough money to do that trip look what my account says you're living by sight not by the potential well you know I'd love to start my own company but it's hard you're living by sight if God said to start it start it Will there be challenges? Sure. He even warned us they would. He said, hey, you're going to have trials and tribulations. But he gave you the word. It is written. Be of good cheer. So when you get into the trouble, you say, you know what? I'm not going to focus on this trouble. I'm going to start laughing. I'm going to be of good cheer. Because God's overcome the world, so I'm going to overcome this situation. He delivers me out of all my trouble, Andrew. Doesn't matter what I'm in. Doesn't matter what comes my way. His word works. 
No matter how I feel about my wife when we get out of a, 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 a time of intense discussion. No, what's the word say? Love my wife as Christ loved the church. So I deny myself because I'm the husband. That's what I'm supposed to do. Jesus denied himself. So I deny myself, my feelings, how it made me feel. I deny that. Because the reality is, I'm going to love her like Christ loved the church. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died. And even if I don't get a response from her, i got to do this. Now, I'm not saying I do this all the time. I just know my role. That's what I'm saying. And some days it's, it's, it's tough. Some days you feel like, I should feel this way. No. I'm vindicated. No, you're not. You're carnal. Because it ain't about who's right or wrong. It's about getting right together. Don't live by sight. Man, she's forgiven me of so many things. I would just have to apply the one scripture. How can I be that lazy, no good, sorry uh, servant who had a day's wage owed to me by another servant, but yet the master forgave me of a debt I couldn't pay for? My wife's forgiven me of so many things. Like, seriously, I can hold it against her? No, I forgive you because you've forgiven me so many times of so many mistakes, of so many errors, of so many things I hadn't done right. And you stayed, you loved, you stayed committed, you stayed in your role. Thank God I have a good wife. So I say that. It is written. My wife's better in silver and gold. I don't really have to say that in faith anymore because it manifested. Hallelujah. But there was a time I said, she's a woman of God. <laughs> Because that baggage was there. But we got rid of baggage. My, my, my. So we understand this man. He went after his own stuff. Listen. This guy just flirted all the time with everything he shouldn't do. I mean, he goes, sees this lady, gets dad to get him to, you know, you know become engaged to this woman. On the way back, he ends up picking up some honey out of a dead carcass. He knows he ain't how he's got no business getting honey out of a dead lime carcass that earlier he had killed himself. And gonna give it to his parents. Gave them something unclean and wouldn't tell him where he got it from. Then he uses that riddle later on, you know, to get him some, you know, nice clothes. And then those guys are like, you better find out what this riddle is. And the woman pressed him and pressed him and pressed him. His soon-to-be wife pressed him and pressed him and he caved to that pressing. It's amazing how many people that don't understand their anointing can crave, cr cave to pressure. You're going to have pressures in life. Don't cave to them. He caved, told her the riddle. She told the guys. They in turn tell him. And he's mad. So he goes, kills 30 people to take their clothes. Doesn't go pay for it, kills him. Uses the anointing in his life. Yeah. Pays his debt off. And then goes home pouting. Mad. Angry. Ain't going to be a very good husband. And when he can't deal with conflict, he just runs away from his wife. Just ran away. So then he's like, oh yeah, I was going to get married. I'm going to go back to that hot woman. So now he decides to come back. Why? Because it's lonely being lonely. So he goes back on to find out she's married. And they're like, man, you left. You were all upset, ticked off, mad. I mean, what are you supposed to do? You didn't marry the girl, so I gave her to your best man. He said, uh-huh. I see how y'all are. Now he gets mad at that. said, I'll be vindicated. 
I'm not going to be wrong for my actions now, which he knew his actions were wrong to kill the 30. So under the anointing, he catches a bunch of foxes. Don't know how he did that. That had to be amazing just to watch. <laughs> Ties their tails together, puts a little fire in between them, and sends them off and burn down a whole crop. Now these guys are mad. The Philistines are when they find out it's Samson. So they run over to a tribe and says, man, you need to give Samson up to us. We're going to kill you. And they're like, we want to be at peace with you. We'll find the guy. Find out he's in the cave and says, look, you're going to have to give yourself up, okay? Because they're going to kill us all, man. And we ain't, gonna, we ain't dying for you. He says, fine. You won't kill me if you deliver me? No, we won't kill you, man. We'll get, just tie me up and then send me down. Because he knows they can't do nothing to me. He knows what he has. And so he gets down there, breaks them off, finds a jawbone of a donkey, boom, and he kills a thousand that day. But when he's done, instead of saying, thank you, Lord, that you allowed me to win a great victory and be in thanksgiving with God that he knew he couldn't have done it without the strength that he had, the anointing that he knows he has and that has been spoken to him that he had by his parents, he complains to God and says, I fought this fight, I killed all these people, and now I'm going to die here of thirst. Been around those, man, you know, you, God's touched their life, God did a great victory in their life, and then they're still complaining about what God still ain't done. It's like, when, when's God going to get some praise? It's kind of like, you know, well, you know, uh, we went through all this trial, and we had to conquer all that, and, you know, God did all this, but, you know, here I am now, I'm like this, and I'm like that. And you're thinking, bro, why don't you just say, thank you, Jesus? You know, but when am I going to get mine? When's it going to happen for me? When am I going to have my time? When am I going to be like, wow, God just did something supernatural in life and you ain't even stopped long enough to thank him. You're so consumed with yourself. Well, yeah, you're right. He did that, but yeah, sure. He's, yeah, I, listen, I know he's worked in my life. I understand. But, and then they go on with their complaint. This is how Samson was. We are to never live like this. Because that kind of existence means you only begin something with God. Well, we know that he decided I'm going to abandon this whole deal. Why? Because he uses anointing for his pleasures. And you need to understand that just because you may have an anointing in your own your life does not mean you're walking in the perfect will of God. Just ask Moses. I'm anointed. I struck a rock twice. The water came out, but I didn't get to go into the promised land. I started this whole deal. But I didn't get to finish it. Because I started living by sight. I am so sick and tired of standing in the gap. For you are sorry, no good, stubborn, stiff-necked heart. You're out there worshiping other gods and not just this one. He's done so much for you, fed you, kept you clothes, all this junk. And now you're going to come to me complaining about water again. And the Lord gave more, just speak to the rock, man. Why? Because he's merciful. But no, we decided I'm going to hit this thing twice because you guys have made me mad. And it costs him. And the Lord takes him up, lets him see the promised land. He says, see it, Moses? Come on, Lord. Come on, man. Come on. Let me in. Let me in. Come on, I'll finish, man. I'm sorry. He said, yeah, I know you are. But you've been face to face with me. And you dishonored me in front of the whole congregation. This is as close as you get. Don't talk to me again about it. He didn't. He didn't get to take them in. Joshua had that. A lot of times, man, you know, the, the anointing's like a residual. You know, when you start preaching under the anointing, the power of God come on you. Yeah. It'd kind of like be a residual. 
It just keep, and it's like, it just keep flowing. You know, as you know and study the word and you were living, it's a residual. But you understand this, as you begin to move away from God, begin to make conscious choices to not respond to God, the Holy Ghost in you telling you, you need change here, you need to make this adjustment, you need to do this, you need to change here, you need to forgive here, you need to go back and repent here, you need to humble yourself here, you need to whatever. And you don't do that, then that anointing begins to just seem to fade. In essence, it begins to sap you of all your strength. See, because eventually this guy who once thought marriage we should do, even though he's marrying the wrong person, not outside of the covenant of God, going outside of Israel, he's abandoned the whole idea of marriage now and said, I just sleep with women whenever I feel like it. So he goes to a harlot. Yeah. They want to come kill him, tears the doors off. Um, you know, he slept with a prostitute, yet still had supernatural strength to rip the gate doors off the city. So listen, just because an anointing's happening in your life and what it is that you're supposed to be doing, my God, because you've got a glimpse of purpose. Even Samuel had the glimpse of purpose. He knew he was supposed to deliver Israel from the Philippines. I mean, from the, uh, not the Philippines, but from the Phili uh, Philistines. Thank you. Amen. You need a comedy break because some of y'all are so tight right now. It's not even funny. Thank you, Holy Ghost. <laughs> The deception uh, that you allow in your mind when the mercy of God's in operation saying, listen, stay with me and my power. You, do you really think you can play in your pleasures and it won't eventually cost you? Samson is the evidence of this person. He is the saddest historical account of wasted potential. Sleeps with a harlot and yet still has an anointing to rip doors off. How much do we play with sin and still have an anointing? But again, what did? Eventually he's like, listen, I'm done with this stuff. So he decides to lay low. And he finds a woman by the name of Delilah. And he falls in love with her. But in essence, look, I ain't going to bother. In essence, look, I won't bother the devil. He won't bother me. <laughs> I just found me a nice little place over here. I got this nice little hoochie mama. All right? And, you know, she's good to me. You know, all right? She's good to me. You know? And he just shows up all the time. Well, eventually, the in, in Judges chapter um, uh, 16, verses 4 and 5, the Philistines show up and say, Listen, I need you to find out why he's so strong. How does he lose it? So we can overpower him and afflict him. And with this, as you continue to toy with the anointing on your life, because you are a child of God. But yet, you're out there flirting with the world. Know this truth that Samson teaches us. The thing that satisfies your flesh and brings you comfort in the natural will eventually sell you for price. I would love to say, if you learn from history, you won't repeat its mistake. But if you start living carnal and fleshly again, you will repeat it. Your sin will surely find you out.
See, Delilah represents the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This guy became so prideful. The anointing that was still present even in sin. And yet he disregarded his purpose. Thought he was invincible. And because of that, he never renewed his mind to the covenant he was in. And this is what we learn. Is that if our mind's not renewed to the word of God, it is always subject to manipulation. So Delilah manipulates him. How? With words of affirmation. Samson, I love you. I'm so glad you came into my life. You're such a beastly man. <laughs> How is it you so, you know, the stories of your, you know, ravages upon our land are just unprecedented. You're, you're a legend. That's what men like to hear. Legend. Right? Get their head all big and puffed up. The way you look at me, the way you this. You know, she just, man, she said, where does your strength come from? Because if you love me, you would tell me. He says, well, you know, if you get these new ropes and tie me up, I'd weep like everybody else. She says, oh, okay, thanks, honey. He falls asleep. She ties him up. And then says, the Philistines are upon us, and he comes and breaks. This guy is so deceived. Because this is what happens when you play with sin under an anointing. It is the most deceptive life, even more deceiving than people who are lost. Because the anointing, you keep thinking, since it's there, you're okay. And like God's okay with how you're living. Because how could God be here and all these great things happen if I was out? Well, the Bible tells you when you're out. And the Bible also says if you continue that course, long-suffering and mercy runs its course. I mean, just read the Old Testament. The Lord was like, I could judge this nation, but for the sake of my servant David, I won't do it. For the sake of my servant David, I won't do it. For the sake of my servant David. It's not like God don't want to do it. But eventually he's like, we're done. Do you really want to go through life where God's like, we're done? Because you are living in a Moses moment, guys. You get to actually see God face to face. Now, Moses is still with God. We know he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. So you're not losing this relationship, but you sure can abort your purpose. Yeah, getting to heaven. Is that all it's about? Sure, if that's what you want, but God's going to hold you accountable to what you were supposed to do while you were here. And just because you don't see him today, just because he hadn't personally shown up in your house and said, what are you doing? doesn't mean he hadn't been talking to your heart the whole time. A little bit of anointing, still a little bit of favor, still these things happening in our lives. So you think the guy would say, I just told her about these ropes and they're on me now? Honey, you don't love me. I thought you love me. I'm out of here, babe. I'll find me another hoochie mama. Right? But no, 
He didn't. He was so far in. She goes, you don't love me. You lied to me. You lied to me. You, you lied to me. You don't love me. And he was so, had given her so much, had sold himself to her. That then he starts going to the source of his anointing. Well, if you just tie up my hair, she does it. Again, Philistines are here. He comes up, still in his strength, pulls it all out. You think he'd be like, dang, the Bible says out of two or three witnesses. He knows this stuff. This is what Moses writes. And the, the witnesses, everything be confirmed. She is trying to get me weak. He is so misguided, he wants to be Clark Kent instead of Superman. It's amazing how many men, and women for that matter, want to give up their power just to be somebody's natural person. Just to reduce ourselves to natural living. She's not satisfied. This time she turns the waterworks on. She's crying. She's bringing the rain, bro. And he's like, listen. If you can read it for yourself. He says, listen. My mom and dad has never cut my hair since I was a child. That's where my source of strength. So that tells us his parents taught him the word. And he chose to not live it his life. Because he wanted to live by what he saw. And she realized, all right, this is it. So she makes him some milk. Wants to make sure he's out. Cuts his hair off. Says the Philistines are here. And they come in the room. And the strength's gone. Because the thing that brought him comfort sold him for 1,100 pieces of silver per Philistine that came that day. More money was for a carnal guy than Jesus. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. So they bind him and they gouge his eyes out. What they don't realize is gouging his eyes out actually became a benefit for him. And it would do us well to gouge our own eyes out, metaphorically speaking. What I mean by that is when you quit looking at your account, when you quit looking at your husband and your wife, and when I say look, I'm not talking about, oh, I'm seeing you. I'm talking about, you're a jerk. You've done this to me, done this to me, done this to me, done this to me. And so you only see them through all the hurt, the pain. You look at your job. You look at your relationships. You're always looking through that. But if you just close your eyes for a moment, close them right now. Think about your eyes being closed is that it requires you now to look within. This is why people don't like to stop and pray. They don't want to actually close their eyes. Now, yeah, can you pray looking? Sure, I agree, no problem, as long as it's not a distraction. But yet, if you would stop and close your eyes for a moment, begin to allow yourself to look within, you might realize, hmm, this ain't exactly how it was supposed to be. They gouged this guy's eyes out. You can look at me now. Gouged his eyes out. Now he has no other place to look but within. And so the very thing that brought him pleasure now has shackled him. 
And what we don't what we understand is he then was reduced from being this champion of legacy, of a legend, to being chained to a wheel that would grind mill, that would grind uh, corn, you know, grind, had a millstone on it. And he'd just walk around like this all day. That's it. Here he is, shaved bald, and he's reduced to nothing. He's this weak guy. You know, he's champion at one point, but because he wouldn't let go of his flesh, he's turned into a spectacle. He's forgotten. He is left low. Now, let me tell you something. I love God because God won't leave us in places if we will listen. So the whole time this guy is running around, he can no longer look at his circumstance and call himself a victim. Well, now look at them. See, it's their fault. It's what they did. It's what they did to me. Look at them. The best thing you do now is like this. Because now I'm only going in one place. And so many people's lives are stuck in cycles, man. All you're doing is walking around in a circle, bound and shackled to the same thing. But the problem is you're still looking. You're still like this, looking around and blaming everybody for your problem, blaming your wife, blaming your husband, blaming your job, blaming your family, blaming everything. You're still looking around when you need to get your eyes gouged out and begin to say, now, God, let me just deal with me. And if you just start looking at yourself, then all of a sudden you'll start hearing a voice in the, in the very inner part of you. And that voice will begin to say, hey, remember when you were a boy? Remember when I told you an angel came and saw me? And you, he started hearing mom's voice again. And mom started saying, remember that angel came out of nowhere and told me that you would become a great, great champion. That, 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 that you were separated from my from my wound. I never gave you anything to drink, uh, alcoholic. I let your hair grow down uh, and never cut it because of the anointing in your life. Uh, we never gave you anything unclean, nor did I let you around any dead stuff, son. Son, you got purpose. You got destiny. See, it was when, when Samson lost his sight that he finally gained vision. Too often we're looking at the accolades of man. We're looking at the accolades of, uh, uh, of someone else. We're looking for someone else to esteem us. When all the while, all you need is God. You need God's destiny and purpose for your life. And so here he is. And while he's here, he's still not forgotten. But he is wounded. Something I saw new for the first time was this. Samson, when he grew his hair back, because he did, Never came off the wheel. He could feel his hair growing. And it fought coming down and going across his ears and coming and hitting down on his shoulders and falling down on him. I mean, how many days or years did that take? The world's forgotten this champion. The enemy has locked him up. To not remember him anymore. Yet God in the quiet place is still saying, Son, I can use you if you'll listen to me. I can do something in your life. And you ain't going to be able to do all you could have done because of how you squandered. But you could finish in faith. Somewhere, even in there, when the anointing came, he had condemned himself so much he wouldn't break free on his own. Like this thing could hold him. Like the chains on him could hold him. So not only is the anointing coming back and his mom telling him about his destiny, the enemy's saying, you're washed up. You've made too many mistakes. You've blown it. 
You've squandered your life. You'll never amount to anything. This is all you'll ever be. Then one day, the city got together and said, bring out Samson. Let's go and worship our God because he gave our enemy over to our hands. Go pull that guy out. Let's laugh at him a little bit more. And God will redeem some things for you if you'll start living by faith and not by sight. And all of a sudden, when the chain started being unhooked and they started to bring him in, he realized, wait a minute, I'm not on that will anymore. And the anointing's back. I can't see, so I'm not going to be able to run and do like I used to. God for you. Not, you know, on my own in that context, but I could do something for you now. Maybe one more thing. If you'll vindicate my eyes, meaning not that I want you to get them back from gouging my eyes out. No, what he was saying was, when I had eyes to see, I didn't see. And I want you to vindicate me for that. Give me that anointing one more time, and I'll do that plan. I'll bring this house down on all these Philistines, for they are uncircumcised, and they are against the covenant of God. And so he looked at a boy without seeing him and said, hey, can you put me up against the pillars? I need to rest. And they did, and he held himself onto those pillars. And the Bible says he pulled those things down and he died with the Philistines that day. Killed more in his last moment of faith than he ever did his lifetime. What does that teach us? We don't want to really wait till we're on our deathbed to do our most miraculous faith thing. We want to live faith every day. We do know that he ended in faith. For the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32, in the beginning of 33, he said, what shall I say more? For the time would fail me about Gideon. Begins to name people. David's in this list. But then he says, and Samson and the prophets who by faith. I'm telling you, you need to get a vision for your life today. Today, you need to decide once and for all, I'm going to live for the Lord. Instead of living by sight and squandering the anointing God has for you, give up off that and say, I don't want to be like Samson. I don't want my life to end on a wheel where all I'm doing is running around in circles until it's over. No, today I'm going to get free from that. Today I'll live by faith. This doesn't mean your problems are over today. In the seen realm but they are over in the spirit because if you'll call those things that be not as though they were it shall become just that if you'll begin to believe the word because living by faith is not seeing it different living by faith is believing it's different and trusting God's word how do I know when people are living by sight because they talk about their problems they talk about the circumstance. They complain. They, they find a scapegoat. They say why they can't. They're always talking that way. But I know when someone's living by faith, they say, well, it's written. It is written. It is written. Well, it may not be that in the natural, but it is written. I'm the heel of the Lord. It is written that uh, I have a wife better in silver and gold. It is written that I love my wife like Christ loved the church. It is written that a man shall... Uh, um, 
uh, not eat if a man don't work. So God, I thank you, you provide a position for me that I can get into that place. It is written that if I give it to be given back to me, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It is written that I have the joy of the Lord. It is written. And you start living by faith and quit living by sight. Because when you do that, then you can get to the end of this life and not hear, well, you began something. But you could have the testimony of Paul. I fought the good fight. I've ran my course. I finished my race. And God wants everyone in this room to be finishers, not starters. Whatever head bowed, every eye closed, no one's looking around. I'm going to talk to you, child of God, first.